Attention mining investors, Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour for making the show economically viable. They are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resources Corporation, Miranda Gold, Paramount Gold, uh, and Silver Corp, Precipitate Gold, and Renaissance Gold. Well, I hope you enjoyed the discussion we had last segment with David Tice, who has been a staunch gold bug and has been one of the first people appearing in the mainstream media a number of years ago, talking and predicting the impending financial problems that actually came about. Uh, and according to David, they are just starting, which is why I... I hope that you'll go and watch his film, The Bubble, because I think David is providing a, a prophecy of what is to come, much as he did on the mainstream media through his movie, The Bubble, and uh, lots of very, very, very wise people in that movie, in that documentary that I think you must go to see. I mentioned in my last segment that Pamela Aiden will be with us to talk about what she sees in the markets, and we want to ask her, uh, especially about gold and silver markets, because to me it looks as though we're at a pivotal moment in those markets. You can make a, uh, you can, you can, uh, you can sort of suggest looking at the charts uh, that we could go much lower. In fact, some people are saying that we could go as low as a thousand dollars, uh, if we don't hold at current levels. On the other hand, if we hold at current levels, uh, we could be, uh, on a springboard for much, much higher prices, probably taking out by a long shot the old highs. And inevitably, I think, you know, you make a case both sides of that argument, uh, from the technicals. But if you look at the fundamentals, there's very little reason to doubt that we're not going much, much higher in gold overall. Not because gold is gaining value, but because the currency is being debased. Um, but before we get to Pamela to get her views from a technical perspective of where gold is going, I'm really pleased to have with me Chris Krupe who is the president and CEO of a very undervalued gold mining company, namely Paramount Gold and Silver Corp. And uh, that's a company that's returning, thankfully. I'm very pleased to tell you that they are returning as a sponsor to this show this week. Now, Paramount Gold and Silver is also a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And in fact, this past weekend, I wrote a report on the company, and I upgraded Paramount uh, to an A2 company from an A3 company. Now, just a little explanation about that. A2 companies are those that have completed economic studies, and now Paramount has completed not only one, but two. A second project this past week, uh, they, they reported a preliminary economic study on, and the, uh, and the results are very impressive. Uh, but before I say hello to Chris Krupe, who's going to talk about uh, his projects, let me just tell you that Paramount Gold and Silver trades in Toronto and on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol PZG, and it has been trading right around two bucks or so recently. And I might also note that while the stock is off from its highs in 2011, it's held up much, much better than the bludgeoned juniors that so many of us uh, talk about on this show and in my newsletter from time to time. Well, really pleased to have with me Chris Krupe to help us understand 
understand uh, his company, why it's done so well, and uh, perhaps to give you an idea of why I think it's going to do much, much better. Thank you, Chris, for being with us. Thank you, thanks, and it's great to be back on the show. Well, good to have you. Um, you know, Paramount, you had you have two very significant projects, the Sleeper Mine, which I know something about from my banking days a couple of decades ago, but also you have the San Miguel Project in uh, Chihuahua, Mexico. And I want to ask you about both of those, but you just now came out with a study on the San Miguel. Um, how? Can, let's talk about that one first. How many ounces of gold and silver do you have in your current resource at San Miguel? Sure, we have 1.5 million ounces of gold and 100 million ounces of silver. So it's almost uh, it's pretty close to an even split gold-silver project, which is a little bit unusual in that part of Mexico. They're typically more silver dominant. Uh huh. And uh, well, that's a fairly that's a very significant uh, amount of metal you've got there. Um, so how, how is it envisioned, the mining going? Is this an open pit or underground or combination, or what's the story there? Well, what we've got here, Jay, is we've got a, a combination of both, which actually makes it very economic. We've got uh, three open pit mines and three underground mines. One of them will be exclusively underground. So what you have is, in, in the case of the open pit, we will be going underground once the pit is mined to its maximum depth. Typically, we find silver on surface, which... We'll mine in the open pit, and as we go uh, towards the vein system, which is the later gold event at depth, we will take out the gold, uh, and, and that will actually bring up some real economics in the later years. We've got a 14-year mine life. We're going to build a centralized mill, and this is one of the keys. We're not going to have five mills because we have five mines. We're going to place this mill right in the middle of all of these deposits. We're going to truck ore from each of them, and we're going to bring them in over time, creating what is uh, will be an average gold production of 57,000 ounces per year and a silver production of about 3 million ounces per year. Hmm. That's without any resource expansion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Chris, what is the PEA suggesting in terms of cost? Well, we're looking at an initial capex of $230 million, which, as you know, in this market is, is relatively modest compared to what we're seeing in the billions out there. Sure. And that will get us, that'll get us into mining. We're looking at a uh, cost per ounce of gold. We're going to use gold equivalent here just to make life easy on your mm-hmm. everyone. We're looking at $500 an ounce, which is also fairly modest. Uh, so, so we're looking at a relatively economic project if you look at the bottom line on this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, uh, even with uh, today's gold prices of 1600 uh, 50 or thereabouts and, and silver at $29, 30 uh, it would seem to, to work out very, very well given those cost estimates if they hold up. Um, so what, what sort of net present value internal rate of return does this uh, project? Yeah, at a, at, a, at, a, uh, at, a, at a discount rate, which appears to be what the market is giving it, we're looking at over $700 million uh, on the net present value. And that's with, um, uh, you know, a three-year trailing average gold and silver price. So obviously that's more conservative than the spot price. If you start looking at perhaps spot gold or a little bit higher, you're getting into the eight, high eights or 900 million. Uh, you actually look a little bit ahead and if you believe gold is going where we all believe it might go, you're looking at a billion dollar NPV. And, and this, this is, this is good. So this is the kind of project that, May attract the interest of a producer because it's a fairly low capex to get in, but it pays, has very good payback period. Well, I would say so. And, and actually, if we look at uh, you know a two dollar share price, you're looking at a market cap of what around three hundred million compared to yeah. those kind of present value numbers that you're talking about. And again, reminding our listeners that this is just one of two major projects. That uh, and we'll get into the other one in in a moment. Are there uh, chances of expanding this resource, Chris? Absolutely, Jay. So the, the figures that I'm quoting to you are now a year and a half old. And it just takes that long to get these reports done because the, the real good people are busy and it takes a long time. So in that year and a half, we've been doing nonstop, sometimes a bit to three Remember, last March we cashed up before the markets really tanked, so we've been able to take advantage of that without diluting our shareholder base. So you're going to see some good numbers still coming out from us. So we're probably going to do a resource update yet again. Uh, before we really move into the next pre-feasibility stage. What are you uh, expect, expecting to spend uh, a lot of money on this company, still drilling and expanding it, or, or what's, the, well, what's the program we, now? What we've done, Jay, is we really know now, now that we have a mine plan, mm-hmm. we're focusing on those deposits. So it, now we're targeting those areas to see if we can 
either up the grade or extend the mine life and, and make it that much better. So the, the, the dollar spend from here on in isn't going to be like it was. And, and that's a good thing. So we're actually going to manage, be able to manage the cost. We've only got one rig there now, but we know exactly where we need to target. Okay. Uh, is there, is that pretty well take care of the, uh, the San Miguel? Is there anything else you'd like to say about that one before we move on to the sleeper? You know, I think it just let, as the listeners would like to know, it's a very prolific district, the Sierra Madre Gold Silver Belt. You've got companies like Coeur d'Alene. You've got Gold Corp, Alamos Gold, Agni Eagle, Pan American just jumped into the district with its mm. purchase of mine finders. You've got Carlos Slim, the richest man in the world, who last fall purchased the, uh, the Ocampo mine for Orico Gold, uh, from Orico Gold. So this area is uh, well on its way to becoming modernized. And it's, it's an exciting area to look at, and I can tell you one thing, that there's no shortage of people looking to build new mines here. Well, that's really good, and that's very interesting. I think very important, too, because I think it's important to let our listeners know uh, that, you know, Paramount Gold and Silver knows what it's good at. It's good at finding ounces in the ground. It's not, uh, it's not looking to become a producer. Do I have that right, Chris? Absolutely. We're, we, we've got the team to, to find it, to define it, to take it to development, but... We believe our strength is that, and we should stick to our knitting, as I think Mr. Peters said a long time ago in his famous book. So that's what we like to stick with. Well, stick to your knitting, and what's important, again, is that there is a lot of interest in that area and a lot of other major companies and companies of note that are down there that could be possible suitors for your project. I mean, that's always very important, I think, to see competition for a valuable asset like like this one. Well, that's one of two. Now, let's move on to the sleeper. How many ounces of gold? Uh, the sleeper, let me just tell our listeners, is in northwestern Nevada. It was a former producing gold mine, a very rich one that actually bailed out, made possible the survival of Amex. I remember years ago when I was a lending officer and I was involved in the first gold loan in modern times to that project, uh, to Amex Gold. But uh, uh, you have picked up the sleeper now, and what a coup it seems to me, Chris. How many ounces of gold and silver in that resource up there now? Well, Jay, we've got a whopping 5.5 million ounces of gold plus a silver credit of 60 million ounces, which in some cases makes a mine on its own. So we're pretty excited about this. And I'm going to tell you, it's a growing asset because that resource is two years old. Mm-hmm. And we've been busy. We've been busy in those two years. So it's, it's quite exciting. We've been drilling it, uh, expanding the resource, infill drilling to move it from resource to reserve grade, moving it to pre-feasibility. So we can talk a little bit about the economics as well if you'd like. Oh, absolutely. I want to do that. In fact, I know that you uh, preliminary economic assessment was done last, I think it was August of last year, Chris? That's right. That's right. That's All right. So how much gold and silver is expected to be produced from this mine? Well, what we've got is we've got an in-pit uh, resource, uh, a mine plan of 4 million ounces of gold, Plus a silver credit. So if you roll that out over, we have a 17-year mine life, which is a good, it's a good long mine life to begin with. So we'll produce 170,000 ounces of gold, mm. plus a quarter million ounces of silver, which comes in as a credit. And that's, that's a significant number. When you add that to what we're going to do in Mexico, that's 230,000 ounces a year. That's, this is a, this becomes a pretty interesting play between mm. both projects. Mm. And we're really excited because we don't have, we have modeled this on a leach, a heap leach operation only, mm-hmm. which if we were to actually spend the extra money to, to model a mill, I think you'd see the numbers would get that much better. Yeah, it's, uh, so they've done metallurgy on that, I guess, and you've done some, some work at least along those lines, of, of uh, but that hasn't been worked into the economics yet. You, you expect that could be the case so going forward? Absolutely. We've done uh, extensive testing in Reno at McClellan Labs, which we believe is the preeminent lab in the district. They are very confident with the recoveries on a leach basis. Um, if we were to move it to a milling scenario, we'll pick up a substantial silver credit, which will drive the cost down. And I think in the next steps, which is going from the economics phase, the PEA, into pre-feasibility, we're going to look at all of these options. And it is to a large degree the fu- a function of the gold and silver price. And, you know, as I say, if we're believers, um, that's good. We've already got... We've used a fairly modest base case for these numbers at $1,384 gold, mm-hmm. and I think that might get upgraded somewhat in the pre-feasibility stage or an updated PEA because, as I was saying, we're, 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 we're using old numbers. And so if you, keep, if you also look to the future, you'll see 
some very interesting, uh, we believe we're going to have some interesting drill results in the next little while because we're hitting some really interesting rock. Yeah, I know that you've also expanded your claim area up there very considerably, too, since you first moved in there, did you not? Absolutely. So what uh, what got us interested in expanding um, was some targets in the outlying areas. So now we have about 50 square miles. We've got about 2,500 claims, and we take it all the way down to Newmont's Sandman Project, which you'll recall they acquired when they bought Frontier. And Newmont is now in the district drilling that project. So we're looking at this as maybe becoming a new mining district, or maybe reviving the sleeper into a, into a, a, a new mining district. Did you say, Chris, uh, what the projected mine life is on the basis of what's there now in the PEA of last year? Absolutely. It's a 17-year mine life. 17. Uh, and a relatively quick turn into production. We've also got to start that 200,000 ounces sitting in the waste dumps. We ran an extensive 80-hole drill program. So that's a solid 200,000 ounces, which actually is very helpful because it's already out of the ground out of the ground sitting, waiting to be processed, which is very unusual. What is the, uh, yeah, I mean, that could be some quick cash flow for the uh, whoever puts it into production. So what about uh, the projected, uh, what's it, what did you say what the projected uh, cash flow is on, or, I mean, uh, CapEx is on that, on the cap, that project? The, the, initial, the initial CapEx to build this fairly substantial mine is $340 million, mm-hmm. which gets us right into, like, right into production. They'll be sustaining CapEx and contingencies over its lifetime, but... If you look at the two projects together, that's 600 million to get 230 million ounces of gold production plus silver, plus substantial silver in Mexico. So, as a as a relative case, this is a very these are very modest numbers. And did you say, uh, Chris, what the discounted net present value on the sleeper on that basis uh, last year last year's study? Yeah, depending on very interesting to you. We're looking at we're looking at a 900 million dollar NTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, moving up to well into the billions, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the gold price assumption, and I think you're going to see those numbers go up when we re- when we reforecast the, uh, the the resource or reserve estimate. Okay, so we're looking at you know possibly two billion dollar net present value projects here, and both of them with upside potential from here. To help uh, get us, uh, uh, can you can you help our listeners understand the magnitude? I just wanted maybe to help put this together. Those two NPVs or those two projects, big, and total number of ounces of gold and silver in the ground. Then, Chris, I know we sort of talked about you, you're looking at huge, very substantial production. You just mentioned it, but just to give our listeners an idea of the global resource, I know that you got you, you know you can't really put everything together because not all all ounces are the same. You've got uh, you know indicated and inferred and those are all different but just to give our listeners some sense total number of ounces of gold and silver in the ground sure. between the two two projects sure well so the gold number is seven million ounces and the silver is 160 if you work out the equivalent numbers and i like to report in gold it's simpler sure it's now it's now 10 million ounces which is a lot of it's a lot of gold and now that's split between two projects but two projects i say in the top two of five best geopolitical districts in the world, and I don't care what anybody says, Nevada is number one, and Mexico is is maybe a, a distant third, or perhaps fourth or fifth after perhaps Canada. But it, this is these the value of these ounces in the ground is what people are going to be buying when they when they buy equity in Paramount Gold, and 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 it's going to be leveraged to gold. So if you take the 10 million, you divide it by our 300 million market cap, that's only 30 bucks. That's relatively cheap. It is. It is very cheap, uh, Chris. I have to ask you. Um, money is always the issue with junior mining companies. As I mentioned earlier, your stock has held up relatively well. Uh, y- how much money do you have in the till now, and how far will that take you? Well, Jay, we've got ten million dollars in in the kitty, and as I said, we were lucky to uh, have raised a, a substantial sum last March at a, at a relatively good price with no warrant overhang. Now, our largest shareholder, Albert Friedberg of Friedberg Mercantile. Uh, is about to uh, uh, write a check for uh, in the neighborhood of eight million dollars, and that'll bring us up to eighteen million. That's the last of the warrants that are existing in the company, and that was his warrant he, he got for his initial investment four years ago. Mm-hmm. So, with eighteen million dollars, we'll be one of the better cashed-up juniors in the market, and we don't have to go back to fund. And I think that's a, that's a reason why our stock has held up 
throughout this this nasty turn in the last year. Well, I don't doubt it for a minute. You have some very loyal shareholders. You mentioned uh, not only uh, Mr. Freeberg, but also some other people, insiders that own a big chunk of this company. You know, Chris, I always like to see the people that are running the company have their interests lined up with mine as a shareholder. So I think that's a very important thing to notice. Is there anything anything else you would uh, like to talk about before we conclude our discussion for today? Well, no, Jay. Just uh, you know, management has been very good about um, uh, moving you know, moving these projects forward, and I think that's another key consideration. Is we are actually doing something. We're, we're moving these from stage to stage methodically. We're open to the market. We tell our intentions. We follow up, and we do what we say we're going to do. And I think when you're evaluating these types of companies, it's it's the money, but it's also the management and the direction they're taking uh, in the marketplace. And and as a as a U.S. traded stock, I think your your customer your 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 listeners should look at it. We're in a whole bunch of ETFs now, and, and the GDXJ, the Junior Gold Miners Index, and a whole pile of others. Are, we're a Russell 2000 company, so this has been vetted and reviewed. And I just ask everybody to have a quick look at it on, on at our at our website. Well, absolutely, and people can subscribe to my newsletter as well because I do cover your company, Chris. I want to thank you very much. It's certainly a story I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to, and I think when we see a turn in the market to the upside. This is one people are going to see fly, start to rise in value first because it is so advanced and uh, it is a very, very significant company. Thank you very much, Chris, for being with me today and look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Uh, I'll look forward to it, Jay. Thank you. Okay, well, there you had um, our discussion um, with Chris Krupe and a very exciting story, I believe, uh, with uh, with his company with two major gold projects and 10 million ounces, gold equivalent ounces all in. And we're really pleased to have Pam Aiden with me. Uh, for those of you who don't know Pamela Aiden and her sister Marianne, they both they publish the Aiden Forecast on Money, Metals, and Markets. And that's a publication that's now in its 32nd year. And I can remember many years ago talking, reading, looking forward to the uh, – to the Aiden forecast coming in my mailbox in those days before we had the internet. And so I'm really happy to have with me today Pamela Aiden. Welcome, Pamela. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. Really, uh, it would be more of a pleasure to be there with you uh, probably in Costa Rica than New York City at this time of the year. But nonetheless, um, thanks to the <laughs> miracle of IT, we can talk to you. You're probably looking out in the blue sky and the, and the snow-covered mountains and the ocean on the other side of your window or something. That's what I see. That's but anyway, exactly what, That's exactly what I'm looking at. <laughs> oh, come on. All right. All right. All right. Well, so maybe you can help some of us in the dreary northeastern United States uh, sort of Provide some sunshine for us with respect to the metals markets. Now, Pamela, I have to ask you about gold, of course. You are known for your gold forecasts, and I know that one time you thought it was possible a couple of decades ago that we could see $4,000 an ounce of gold. And then in came Paul Volcker, who put in huge and tight monetary uh, uh, policy that killed that rally, knocked inflation dead for a number of years. Uh, and so your $4,000 forecast didn't come true. But what do you see now? We're... I think that we're at some very key levels, um, very, very key levels for gold. What are, what are your thoughts? Well, exactly that. Uh, we learned very much in those days. You don't fight the Fed. And, and truly, that's still the same today. Uh, with the stimulus program that's going on, even though there, there was some doubt raised that maybe it'll end it sooner, that quickly was just a one little comment. And there's just um, the World Central Bank's, um, the amount of money they're putting in. There's There's really... It's really just a matter of time before we see um, a higher gold price. And granted, it took a backseat to the to the stock market this year, and it could stay in the backseat for a while. But, uh, but the backseat does. In the meantime, the backseat means like fifteen thirty six. If you want to put a number on that, it's mm-hmm. been such an important level. It's holding. It's like there's some major buyers, and it's probably central bankers that are keeping that price. Like to think it only went down not even twenty percent. From, mm-hmm. Even though, granted, it was a year and a half ago, the peak it arrived um, in September of 2011, and it has been going down to size since. It hasn't fallen more than that, which is pretty amazing when you see how much it's risen just in mm-hmm. 2008, 170%. So we see that this, while it has been lackluster and it has taken a back seat, it is holding. And as long as it holds, that's a key level, and it's still a bull market. If that breaks, like... Some suggest that it might. Um, then yes, 
we could see another $100 fall from there, maybe even $200. But um, And that is like the probably the gloom side of a possibility, looking over like from here to mid-year. Mm-hmm. So you don't see anything as drastic as uh, there's one analyst I know in Richard Russell's letter recently suggested if we failed at these levels, you're talking about 1536, thereabouts was the number he, I don't remember the exact number, and he was suggesting that we could see a 1,000 or even worse. You don't see that. Well, and anything's possible if that's broken, and, and it's simply because it's really interesting, not to get into too much detail, but the rise we had from 2008 to 2011 was 170 percent, which was for an intermediate move. That was like record. That was record type of move in percentage terms. So the fact that it only came down 20 percent means that even if it lost a couple hundred dollars more, of that sake it's down to 1,200, 1,300. In the big picture, it's not bad, and it would just be more of a great buying opportunity if you want to think of it in those terms. But I wouldn't think that that would last very long. Not the way um, the environment in the world is still today. Nothing's mm-hmm. really changed other than been what we like to call uh, subsidized optimism in the <laughs> world right now. And yeah. and so and but it's growing. Like it's been consistently growing for a few months, and that's what people are happy with. And they're going back in the stock market on that. And mm-hmm. that could last a while, just the enthusiasm of it all. But in the meantime, goes quiet, very quiet. Doesn't fall. It doesn't go up, although today it did have a little bounce up. But um, and this could be the start. Today is could be the beginning of um, a renewed rise on an intermediate basis. Well, time will tell. But mm-hmm. you know the fact that it did rise instead of fall, and it's at a level that's pretty key, is um, is impressive. Really it is, is impressive, impressive. And, I, and and as a technician, I, I guess what you, what I think I hear you saying is that. Uh, this we could see a much bigger fall, and it would still be a bull market. Uh, yes, it a long-term be, secular bull market. Yes, like like granted, it has come down. the 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 fall, actually, the fall that turned everyone uh, questioning the twelve-year bull market run is the fall it's had this year since mm-hmm. January. That was the fall that was um, because everything else was fine. Like even. Um, and you can justify this fall. It's not the end of the world, but it's not good. It, uh, clearly, it was not good to see it fall, uh, like from the 1650-ish level down to the 1550. That $100 fall was the fall that made a lot of people turn bearish in the last m- month or two. And um, and it's still not. Like 1536, that was the close in May of last year. Mm-hmm. And And so that was... That is the low, and that's an important low, very important low, because it just hasn't wanted to break that level. So we're watching that level closely. We're in a key level. And what's interesting is is that gold is oversold versus the stock market, versus the bond market. On an asset class, it's oversold versus all the major things, and also versus the dollar. It looks like it wants to have a intermediate corrective rise up while the dollar comes down, mm-hmm. uh, uh, looking at that over the couple months. So... There's some signs looking like we probably have seen a low for gold for now, and so this is a, and for the short term, uh, that 1570 level on a closed basis has been showing to be very, uh, you know, uh, very solid in the last several weeks. So we're looking at that number in 1536 on the downside. And on yeah, the you know, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no! Uh, well, no, I was just going to say the upside. 1600, 1650, up above 1650, it's like, as I say, out of the woods and in the clear, and that's mm-hmm. what we're looking at, the numbers. Okay. You know, we had Rick Rule on the show a couple of weeks back, and he reminded me, and I had forgotten about this, Pam, but you would remember very, very well, the bull market, the last secular bull market we had, when gold went from 35 to $200, then it had a $100 break. It, it fell in half to 100 right. before it proceeded to go to 850 We haven't seen anything like that kind of correction, and I guess you would have to see something sub-1,000 to see that. And that's why I was just asking, you know, even if we were to see something that drastic, it would it would certainly convince 99% of the population that the bull market is over, wouldn't it? But but this has cleared oh, out a lot clearly. of people, too. It seems like a lot of pessimism out there about gold right now. Yeah, there sure is. There's a lot of people are ready to give up the boat. They didn't like seeing it 12, turn 12 years old, the bull market. And, and it was just last month in February was, was exactly its anniversary. And uh, so... Um, it's true. Like, if you look at just like uh, the low of 2008, for example, it was around 700, and the high of 2011 was 
1900. You just divide that by two, that difference, and you could see um, that looking at the 1976 fall of 50%. If you take it from those two levels, I think would be more realistic than trying to take it down from the 2001 low. And, mm-hmm. uh, if, and even that, that could be push you down to, um, say, $700 minus. That could down into 1200 1200 on a very, like, crisp, probably um, spike bottom type of thing, like mm-hmm. 1976. I still remember those times. We were watching mm-hmm. the market daily in those days, and, yeah, it was, um, it was hair-raising at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, for sure. Now, Pam, my engineer is telling me we've only got four and a half minutes left or something like that, So, I, and I've got to have you back because there's so many more markets to talk about. You touched on the dollar, but, but so many of our listeners are interested in the gold share markets. Do you follow any of the major um, companies or any of the indices for the gold shares that you might want to comment on? How is that looking yes, now? Like we, well, we follow the industry. We follow gold shares individually and on an index basis. But mm-hmm. XAU and HUI, that's the popular indexes. I can tell you a little bit about those. Sure. That how, how, how you've already probably heard this a million times, how bombed out they are. Um, and truly, uh, just this past week, we've seen, we've seen a, another new low in, on the index. But on the other hand, a lot of the gold shares, we have not seen new lows. We've seen them starting to perk up today. They're looking a little more perky. So, um, you know, if gold has, has hit a low, so have gold shares. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I think you have to look at gold shares along with gold more than the stock market. Because sometimes it's influenced by the stock market. Other times it's just pe- uh, stuck with gold. So this last fall, of course, has been just a gold move because everyone is dying to buy um, all the other, the tech side and the industrial stocks and all that. So, no, I think that if someone's not in or if they're in, I would ride through whatever weakness might be ahead of us because I think we clearly are near rock bottom if not already seen it. Well, we certainly have seen the gold shares. I would argue that the gold shares are even more undervalued than the than the metal itself because uh, even as the gold price was going up, the gold shares were not participating, at least to the same extent, and they've seemed to come down very, very hard, and we're going to be talking to Rich Richard Bedell of a little company that uh, Renaissance Gold, a project generator company, is going to be with us, but we talk to other mining companies uh, on a regular basis on this show, and I... I know now, I, I get the sense why the likes of Rick Rule and Doug Casey and some of these very, very successful investors are very excited about this market right now. You know, Pam? They are, they're, mm-hmm. they're licking their chops. I, I can't tell you how much. And you know that, um, Rick Rule is such a spoiler sometimes. That's the way I feel when the markets are going up. He's a smart investor. He's cashing out when everybody else is getting excited. And now when people are wringing their hands, and this thing does look good to me now. It looks like we are possibly, very possibly, bottoming out here, Pam. Oh, clearly it's the most bombed-out market that exists today. And even uh, gold shares versus gold, even if you wanted to play that difference, is, like, amazing. Like, And it did separate. It's true. Like, when after um, when once gold reached its peak, and it, it had a leader, like there was a leading thing there showing that gold shares just weren't participating, like you said, but that, you mm-hmm. see that clearly when you see them together. And then it just, they just collapsed in a waterfall decline. But I agree. I think we've seen the lows. We're near them, or if not, they're behind us. And um, this is a good time to be picking up some selective gold shares. I wouldn't buy just any at random. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, I agree with you there on. because because there's an awful lot of these gold mining companies are in trouble. They're going to have to raise capital. They have uh, you know stock uh, share prices that are below $0.10, cents and they can't raise capital. And so there's going to be a big turnover. But for the survivors... Uh, those companies that can withstand this this pressure, I think, are going to be in very good shape. My engineer tells me we have one minute. That's enough time maybe to get just a quick comment on silver from you. Pam, how do you see the silver markets? More bullish or less than, than gold? Well, actually, silver is, is poised to rise more than gold once an intermediate rise gets started. And it hasn't fallen as much as gold. I think it's been better than gold, and it still is. Like it's been holding at, say, 28.40 this past low. It fell with gold, as, it, as you know. And, um, but it looks like it wants to go back up, say, to at least a 32 level. And then those levels, 32, 33, once it gets past that, then I think then we're probably going to see it scream upward. I really do like that's how silver is. It has that characteristic of once it wakes up, and wake-up time would be 32, 33 above that, well, then it, start, it tends to soar, so you want to be on board a, ahead of time. So mm-hmm. I would look at it when it gets above. Like right now, I would, I would buy a little bit right now if you, haven't, if you don't have it, and then 
and then buy some more above twenty uh, nine fifty thirty dollars, another more at thirty two thirty one. Like I would, because those are levels that are like the stepping stones of, of breaking out into an, a renewed leg up in the bull market. So oh, yes, I do like I, silver, and silver shares have actually held up better than gold shares. And very I like interesting. Some, a couple of silver shares as well. You want to name one or two? My engineer hasn't given me the the red light yet, so. Oh, uh, silver wheat, silver... I like a lot. Yeah, I think sure. silver wheat is one of the solid great ones. And uh-huh. those, that's the one we've always liked. We've always are, that's our first pick always. But there's a few others too that are good. All right. Well, we'll have you back again sometime soon if you're willing to come on and talk to us. I'll give you more time the next time. I promise you that, so we can get into more uh, very very exciting news and uh, ideas that you have, not only in the precious metals but other markets as well. Thank you very much, Pam, for being with us today. And thank you, Jay, for having me. Well, look forward to talking to you again real soon. Well, don't, Folks, don't go away. We're going to have to go to a commercial break. And when we come back, Richard Bedell of Renaissance Gold. You're not going to want to miss this story. A stock that's selling for pennies has great upside potential from what I can see. Let's uh, talk to Richard Bedell as soon as we come back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Precipitate Gold is focused on exploring and developing its gold properties in the Dominican Republic in Mexico. Precipitate's management team has been responsible for numerous takeovers, with valuations exceeding $280 million. With a successful team and a growing portfolio of quality gold assets, including an attractive concession adjacent to GoldQuest's holdings in the Dominican Republic, the company is well-positioned for growth in 2013. For more information, please visit www.precipitategold.com. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me Richard Bedell. He's the president and CEO of Renaissance Gold. This is the first time Richard's been here, but for the sake of uh, saving time, I'm not going to read through his bio, bio, uh, through his bio at this point in time because uh, you can catch that on uh, at the Voice America website. And uh, just to tell you that Richard is a geologist. As I said, he's the president and CEO of Renaissance Gold. He's had various other times. He's been with major mining companies, Homestake Mining Company, uh, Rio Tinto, those kind of firms, so he's an excellent track record, but more importantly than his bio, I think, is his track record that he's had since he's been at Renaissance and the previous company, uh, AUEX. Um, the, this is a company, Renaissance Gold, trades uh, under the symbol REN in Toronto, under the symbol RNSGF. You can buy it in the U.S. under that simple symbol. Uh, stock earlier today was selling at uh, 39 cents. I uh, don't know where it's closed, but it's, it's somewhere around 40 cents, I would reckon. At 30.7 million shares outstanding, gives it a market cap of, I don't know, 13, 14 million dollars. Very low market cap. Uh, and um, so welcome, Richard. Really good to have you with me. Thanks, Jay. 
You know, the management of Renaissance Gold, you and, and Ron Parrott are heading up that effort. Uh, you've had some considerable success going all the way back 2002, 2003, starting with the previous company, AUEX. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you did at AUEX? Because Renaissance is a spin-out from that company, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. <clears throat> we came up with a whole new district of Carlin-type gold mineralization uh, that we eventually uh, sold to a joint venture partner, uh, fully realizing that uh, they would then be consolidated by another major. We provided our shareholders with a double bump, and we made, I calculated, 98 times our first private placement. Wow. And That's... so the beauty of the company that we have now is we've got all those properties and projects into a brand new tight share structure with incredible momentum. We have 13 projects fully funded with other people's money. So we truly are doing the project generator joint venture model. And even during the success with Long Canyon and the Pequops, I kept trying to tell analysts, you know, forget that. Just look at how this company is run. Look at our burn rate. Look at how much drilling we're getting done. Look at how we are controlling our share structure. At the end of the day, the game is not market cap. It is per share value. Oh, absolutely. And you, uh, you know, as I mentioned, just 30.7 million shares outstanding. But I, I have to ask you this, Richard. I had a comment from somebody recently. I was telling them that I liked your company. It was a recommendation in my newsletter. And their response was, hey, look, these guys have had so much success already. They can't do it again. What would be your response to that? Well, uh, I think that uh, a lot of people would say success, uh, serial success is important. And, uh, you know, all of us prior to AUEX have been involved in multiple successes, uh, particularly in Nevada. Uh, I myself am associated with a significant uh uh, the Mara Project in Tanzania uh, when I was working there in the 80s. But really, Nevada has been our backyard, and Ron Parrott's uh, success is just unprecedented. He opened up the Santa Fe office in 1980 when they sold to Newmont in 1997 for $2.3 billion. It was based off the discovery and development of four major mines that he managed directly. No. Well, it's certainly uh, better to go with people who are successful than those that aren't. I guess it's just the idea that lightning can't hit twice or three times. But in any oh, event... Yeah, you... I mean, luck is a huge part to do with this uh, high, high-risk business. And that's why we have a portfolio. We have 30 projects. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you have to drill. Uh, it is a probability game, and we mitigate that risk by spending other people's money and having a lot of projects. <laughs> We okay. will take luck anytime we can get it, Jay. <laughs> I don't blame you for that, but you got 13 uh, projects that other people are funding right now. Correct. How much money is being spent this year by OPM, other people's money? Um, How much is being spent I, by others? I suspect it will be similar to last year. Um, you know, we came out as a new company the very end of 2010. In 2011, we spent $6.8 of other people's money. Uh -huh. Drilled over 41,000 feet of holes. Mm. Had a silver resource at $11.6 million. Uh, last year, in a lousy market, we increased that expenditure of other people's money by a million dollars. We drilled mm -hmm. almost 57,000 feet, and we significantly increased that silver resource. We expect mm -hmm. to do similar magnitude this coming year, but uh, we're looking at a few new deals today. Uh, that I hope to get executed uh, in the not-too-distant future here. So we expect to see this matrix grow. Right. Well, you mentioned the silver, uh, the silver deposit, the silver resource. I'm sure you're talking about the, the Trinity Silver Mine, um, and that's a former producer. What can you tell us about that? Is that, your, say, your most advanced project at this point in time, Richard? Yes, today it's our most advanced project. Uh, it's both the sulfide and oxide uh, uh, resource that we have. The, the oxide's really tangible because in the mid-'80s it was a joint venture with U.S. Borax and Santa Fe, and, of course, Ron Parrott was the joint venture partner at Santa Fe. Uh, they only mined, or I should say recovered, 5 million ounces. It's an unusually good oxide heap leach for silver because silver typically doesn't leach well. Mm -hmm. And they made a lot of money. And uh, 
you know, we're, we're looking at a resource now that's uh, significantly above that, and, uh, you know, our joint venture partners are going to try to get that into feasibility as soon as possible. And, of course, what's good for us is, is that most of our deals are very similar in that we don't spend any money until bankable feasibility is complete, which means mm-hmm. you can then go to a major financial institution and get a loan. So that's, that's the beauty of our model. Once a project yeah. is a deal, the risk is off the table for our shareholders. We are right. on that for a ride. Right, absolutely. And the project generator model with 30.7 million shares outstanding, your burn rate is very, very low. You uh, get other people to spend the money, and that is so important because I would argue that that's the biggest risk investors face in the junior resource sector outside of the project generator model. You know, you, so your Trinity Silver project is, is the most advanced project. We'll keep our eyes on that for sure, but you do have some uh, relationships with majors too. Newmont Mining Corp., you, you have a deal with them. Would you talk about that uh, project? Sure, that's a uh, uh, project we have in the middle of Utah, and it's called Wildcat, and uh, they just did a a drill campaign on that, and um, uh, we're waiting to hear from them about uh, details about what they want to do with it this coming year. They haven't proposed that yet. Um, Another major deal we have with a major is Summit Mining, which is a spin-out of Sumitomo, Mm-hmm. And uh, Sumitomo Corp. has been involved in mining for a long time, but usually they take minority positions in existing mines. And uh, they decide to get into exploration, and we were the first exploration company that they did a deal with, uh, mm-hmm. which we were very, very happy with. And they like the way we're doing business. They picked up another project last year. They've already committed to uh, drill again next year, our Spruce Mountain project, and we have yet to release those drill results. Yeah, I mean, the Spruce Mountain, you define it, I think, as a, as a Carlin-type uh, gold target there, right? Uh, yes, that's one of the targets. It's actually, uh-huh. um, there's a porphyry system there, a molly porphyry system. There's copper, lead, zinc, silver. But in the mid-'80s, off the edge of the range front, buried out uh, in the pediment, uh, was a Carlin system uh, that was discovered by Santa Fe, hmm. uh, which had some pretty interesting hits. So what's nice about Sumitomo is, uh, you know, they've got a metals marketing group, so they can handle all kinds of metals and oddballs. We have some very interesting uh, hits of indium mineralization, for instance. Hmm. Oh, very interesting. Well, so the Sumitomo, and they'll be spending a fair amount of money, I suppose, this year, huh? Yes. Um, I think it's about 1.5 they're estimated to spend. Okay, and you also have uh, something going on with Agneagle Eagle. I think that's in Argentina, perhaps? Yes, that's right. Uh, we've got two projects in agreement with uh, Agnico down there. Uh, we've got a proj- beautiful project ready to drill. We kind of held off in the fall because, as you know, there's been some political issues down there, particularly with respect to the truckers' unions. And so uh, we're just holding back to do that drilling uh in order to optimize the money that is spent on the project, because right now the unions are charging absurd amounts of money. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we still really like the Desiato Massif where we're based. We've got a number of properties. Out of those properties, we have five projects, and we just did a couple more new deals down there with a private group. But these are the people behind Monero Andes who have had tremendous success. They're very excited about our projects down there, and they're going to be advancing uh, two of them this year. All right. Well, outside of the uh, your arrangements with majors, then what uh, other projects. You have some others that you're really excited about. We've got maybe three minutes here to talk about some of your other projects. There's, there's one I know, New Legacy Gold uh, has got a, uh, has a, a deal with you that looked kind of interesting. I did see their presentation here in New York not long ago. Is that the Wood Hills South property? Yes, and that is an offset of the Pequot Mineral District because the Wood Hills and the Pequots were adjacent to each other. These are two mountain ranges that are separated today by extension, but they were together at the time of the mineralization. They had a very material drill hole last year. 
um, it, showing it the Carlin style system, uh, went over there and we did a reconstruction using geology and geophysics to come up with this target. And it seems to be panning out. Now we know the system's over there, but, uh, they just finished drilling, uh, the holes, uh, is an offset to that hole last year. So, uh, I think all those drill holes are in. It was reverse circulation chips that went in, so uh, we're very excited about that because if anything could really create a lot of excitement is uh, an extension of the Pequot Gold District. Mm-hmm. Well, you do have an awful lot of things going on. You've got a lot of projects that you're looking to have joint ventured as well. Uh, you, I guess we didn't, uh, Spain, you've got something going on in Spain. Could you take a minute to talk about that? Sure. I mean, this is a whole new district of uh, Quite high-grade copper-gold mineralization. Very, very bizarre geology. Uh, the only analogy in the world that we've been able to come up with is Kinsashi, which is an oddball in the Zambian copper belt, And uh, except this is quite a bit higher grade. Uh, these are siderite albite veins that go ripping across uh, the countryside, and it's only in certain areas they're rich in copper-gold, but once you're in that area, it's persistent. The grade is very persistent. So we're... we're What's neat about that is it's a whole new district. We've had no competition. We've had multiple rounds of stream sediment geochem, many, many rock chip samples. We've got a couple of drill holes. We just finished drilling two holes there uh, for work commitments to the government. Uh, we've got helicopter-draped uh, geophysical data. Uh, it's really an exciting project. I feel very strongly about the Baza project in southern Spain. Well, you know, you've got a lot of very, very exciting projects, and uh, the law of averages with so many projects, other people spending money, you're keeping your powder dry, you're keeping your shares down, 40 cents a, a share today, thereabouts, $13 million market cap. You've done it before, Richard, with all those projects, all those uh, things going on, I think you've got a good shot at doing it again. So I want to really thank you for coming on the show, talking about your, your story today. At, at a time when I think, as Pamela Aiden just suggested, we are very near a bottom and could be ready for a launch and uh, a rocket shot in the gold share market. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Jay. Uh, folks, uh, we, we are out of time. Unfortunately, it's gone so fast today. I've got to tell you, though, next week's guest, Dr. Peter Treadway, will be with us. Uh, he's written a book entitled Investing in the Age of Sovereign Defaults, and he's really talking about technology and how that is really resulting in a redistribution of wealth to the well-educated people and how that's impacting economics. John Williams, the economist, who will tell us about what the real inflation numbers are and the real unemployment numbers are. John will be with us next week, and we'll also have Carlos fernandez Mazzi. He's a mining engineer, accomplished mining executive who worked with President Clinton on the Sustainable Growth Initiative of President Clinton, uh, Frank Juster, and Carlos Slim. So I hope that you'll be with us next week. Thanks, uh, Tacey Trump, my producer, for making this show uh, viable. Uh, Matt Wiedner, as well. Uh, I should say Matt Widener. I'll get it right one of these times. Matt, thank you very much, all of you, for making this show logistically possible. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. 
Fairmont Gold is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce advanced stage gold and silver projects in the mining-friendly jurisdictions of Nevada and northern Mexico. Backed by a strategic investor and a strong balance sheet, an experienced management team has completed preliminary economic assessments on both projects, showing robust economics and immense potential for increasing ounces and mine life. For more information, go to ParamountGold.com or follow on Twitter, PZG News. <laughs> 